Let me just give you a little bit of a kind of a condition to our talk. I have to realize that um, not everyone here, and I, I don't know you, so I can just say this generally, that not everyone here follows Jesus. And uh, so I don't want to just kind of throw out everything I'm going to say tonight without the understanding, at least that you know that I understand, that maybe you're still sitting on the outside looking at this thing going, well, why am I here? I'm here for relationship or other things. But I know you're not stupid, and I know you know where you came tonight. You came to a church, and uh, at least you've been told you I'm a pastor, so I think you can figure out what my pitch will be. Um, I'm going to try to give you a perspective, a perspective that there's someone who gets to speak over our life. And this someone is God, and this, this God is truth, and what he says superabounds over everything I think or feel, because that's the assumption I'm going to work on today. So if, you're, if by your own confession you don't follow Jesus, I understand that, so I suppose you can hear from my vantage point or from maybe our vantage point, if, if, if there's a majority of us here, um, that there's something we live for greater than ourselves and, and someone we trust. So... I want to state that just because I respect the fact that you're here and maybe some of this will be uh, like new territory for you. You don't have to do much today to get information. Uh, I showed a picture of myself in the 70s to somebody back there because I told them I had an afro and they didn't believe me, so I showed them a picture. <clears throat> but when you needed to know something back then, you know where you went? Library. Where you go now is your pocket. I have a phone right here. And I can get any information, I think, that I want right away. Um, if you were to search up the subject of singleness, you'll be overloaded with facts and stats. And uh, I, read, I read today somewhere that uh, I think in two years ago, uh, something like 45% of the population over 18 years old is single. 110 million people. So the issue, the subject of, of, of singleness, is, should be a popular one. There should be a lot of people um, who have perspective and stories, and I think that's, that's sort of why I think maybe you have an interest in it tonight, and I don't know. Uh, we'll find out. Here's what I've learned. Uh, I was single for a short period of my life. Uh, I got married at 24, so what is that, six years of being single? Um, so I had my own story, and I've been doing work with students or youth or church people for a long time, so I, I've been around that too, and I've kind of collected in my own mind uh, things that happen in singleness, and I would put them in a category of uh, mistakes we make. Um, you might not, but I, I do, and maybe you'll understand what I mean. When I, when I talk about singleness, what happens a lot in the, in the position of being single is a preoccupation with the subject. And you might not know that as a mistake, but I, I know anything that you get kind of in a kind of a death spiral in your thoughts. It's, it's nonstop. And so there's a preoccupation with the issue. Sometimes there's a paranoia about the problems or as we perceive them about the condition of being single. And sometimes you hear this, even you might even say this in your own head, something's wrong. Shouldn't be like this. I'm this old something. You have expectations that are unrealized there. And sometimes it turns inward, you know, like, so if you assess the problem that you don't like, then you conclude that you're the reason why you have the problem. And so it gets a little spin cycle like that, too. I think people carry around unrealistic expectations, like this should be easier. Um, e even if you target at somebody else, they should be better. This shouldn't be so weird. I mean, there's a thousand thoughts that people think about it. I think sometimes we, we struggle with hyperactivity. Um, when you're single and you want to solve the problem, if 
singleness is a problem for you, then you walk around wondering where they are all the time, and and uh, and potentially everyone's a possibility. <laughs> like you're always thinking, so there's some hyperactivity. Sometimes there's this uh, this ne- never-ending pursuit to solve the problem in the sense that you're always rebounding from relationship, and you're going boom, 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 boom to one relationship to another because you're trying to solve the Rubik's cube of singleness. And sometimes we confuse age with being ready, like I'm old enough so I should be ready. And I'm telling you what, age has nothing to do with being ready for the next. It just isn't. Now, wisdom does, maturity does, but it's not necessarily true that just because you're old enough that you're smart enough to do it. And I can say that from experience, so I'm not saying it about you. Um, and I would just suggest to you, if those things represent any part of your experience, don't, don't sweat it and don't worry. You're not the first generation to struggle with what it was like to be single and asking a thousand questions and doing a thousand things to try to solve what you concern yourself with. So, but we're here tonight. I got a Bible in front of me. Uh, you came to church. We just sang about God giving us direction and being our hope and our peace. And so we're here for perspective. And uh, so, and we want to hear a God's wisdom on the matter, and to hear what God has to say to our hearts regarding the issue. Uh, I want to take you to a passage tonight. Um, It's the only one I I know of, actually, that even addresses the issue of singleness, and that'll tell you something, and I'll mention it in a little bit. You're probably familiar, if you've been around church for a while, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There's a subject, like the whole chapter is dealing with relationship as it pertains to marriage, and then he does a little stop gap at verse 25, and he talks about singleness. Um, as a subject matter in 1 Corinthians 7. Let me just tell you some things that are true about 1 Corinthians 7. It is not a section of Scripture that deals in imperatives. When you talk about God and truth and what I need to know, most people prefer commands. Thus says the Lord to the single person, and then he creates a list. You'd go, oh, okay, well, at least I know what I'm supposed to do. Nowhere in Scripture do you find God telling you what to do with singleness, specifically the issue of singleness. There's lots of things to do with our life, but the subject of singleness, it's not there. This section really is just about perspectives and to present to us opportunities that are a part of being single. That's the whole point of the passage. So before we look at what Paul says and doesn't say in this thing, let me give you a lens to kind of see what we're talking about tonight, okay? It's gonna be a real simple outline. Marriage is a gift, I'm not talking about marriage tonight, but that's, you're going to hear it in this series. Marriage is a gift. Uh, not yet married is also a gift, and never married is a calling. So if you want to just see kind of what I, I believe the scriptures teach about the, the categories of relationships, you either, you know, are married or going to get married, or somehow it never happens for you, there's, there's ways to view it. Marriage is a gift, not Yet married is also a gift, as Paul talks about in chapter 7, and never married is a calling. And uh, so that's kind of where we're going. If I were to take a survey uh, tonight and ask you uh, how many of you hope to one day be married, don't raise your hand. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a majority of you jump in on that question. Uh, If I asked you, I'm pretty sure I'd find, if I did even a deeper dive into the survey, a kind of a smattering of the way people respond to the question of, do you want to be uh, in a relationship? A lot of you know right now, like right now you know, yep, I want to be in a relationship. I want to be married. Maybe not all of you, but some of you think that way. 
Some of you think, yes, but not now. No way, it's too early. And I get that. Um, Some of you don't know you do. You think you don't, but you do, and it's coming, and that's going to surprise you. Um, and, And there are some of you who really want to, and you never will. And that also is a category. I think it's a very small category, but it's inevitable possibility, right? And there might be maybe some nuances of difference there. But let me, let me tell you why I think the predominant feeling when you're talking about the kind of the idea of relationship in marriage, why you'll get mostly positive affirmative response to that question. And it's because God made it and he called it good. And the goodness of God is unavoidable in relationships. It's unavoidable. And so the fact that the world over, the majority of people are in relationships is, is sort of a, a proof positive that what God said about the relationship being good is true. Here's what he says in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he did. Took out a rib, closed up the place flesh, presented to Adam his woman Eve, and that's why in Genesis 2 it says, man leaves his father and mother and he's united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. There's so much in that passage you're going to get in the next couple of weeks about, about marriage specifically. But then there's some things, even in the wisdom literature of the scripture, how it presents kind of the prize of relationship. Now, I'm sorry, but I'm, it, this is kind of, the angle is to a man and how he should perceive his wife. And the way the scripture presents it as as it is the prize, the ruby, the diamond that's worth everything for. Whenever the scripture talks about relationship, at least from a male eyes, it's like you have no idea how good this gift is. And it describes it like this. He who finds a wife finds a very good thing and receives favor from the Lord. There seems to be so much positive there. God calls it a gift and he gets favor from the relationship. Proverbs 31, wife of noble character, who can find her? She's more precious than rubies. And that's just a small sampling because that's not what the subject's about. I just want to tell you that when you see relationship in the goodness sense of what God created, you see overwhelming sense of joy in it. So the fact that you sit here and you might have in your own mind affirmatively acted, you know, responded like, yeah, I, I could see myself. Yeah, I want to. Then you're right in line with the why God made it. It's not good for you to be alone. And it's a wonderful thing when you find it. Because the Creator of marriage um, gave marriage as a good thing to mankind. The scriptures, therefore, don't have a lot to say about singleness. It has much to say about marriage. But when it gets to the issue of never having someone, there's not much there. And the only passage I know of that's specifically going after the, the person group of singleness, it's right here. It's all we've got, 25 through verse 38. So... Because that's all we have, I'm going to spend my time here tonight, and I'll give you some wisdom, and you're going to see why for the most part um, in just a second. Uh, This, like I said before, isn't using an imperative to instruct single people. It's using wisdom to guide. So if you're here tonight and you're single, which is most of you, then what you're getting tonight is the wisdom to guide your life while you're single, and that's all that chapter 7 is about. You understand? tracking with me? If you're asleep, I'm asleep, because I just, I just had a grandson an hour ago, so I'm going to go to the hospital uh, in, a, in a little bit, yeah. His name is Cash Gabriel, and I haven't talked to my son about it, but I know why he named him that. Johnny Cash, 
and Gabriel, the first son of Mel Gibson's character in The Patriot. I think that's probably <laughs> why. I haven't asked him, but I will. Um, he's pretty basic. Um, <laughs> don't tell him I said that. So let's start with a basic truth. Let's start with a foundation, okay? And this would cover things outside of singleness, but any particular subject matter of of where you'll find yourself in life. Singleness is a stage of life. It isn't the description of life. It's a place in the journey of life. Understood? Okay? Another truth that fits in that thing is that God controls every stage of life. So it's one of them, and God controls all of them, and it's the one you're in right now, potentially. And the last kind of truth that kind of applies to the stages of life is that God uses every stage of life for our good and his glory. So you sort of have kind of the principles to kind of manage your kind of mindset when you're dealing with this particular stage of life. God's in control of them, and he uses all for his good and my, for his glory and my good, right? So those are the the winsome parts of this particular brief stay in singleness in our life. But let's look at the passage in chapter 7, verse 25 through the end. And if you don't have a Bible, I think there's some on the tables in front of you. If you got your iPhone or whatever, that's cool. Let's see what it says here. Let me give you a couple things. I, I don't, I'm not trying to exhaust this text, just give you some general big principles and ideas here. First of all, understand this. Singleness isn't a command. Verse 25 Now, about the young women who are not yet married, the text and many other versions use the idea of virgin there uh, that's talking about more than just women, the idea is a singleness, both and. But anyway, this is the New Living Translation, and it puts it this way. Now, about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord. This is Paul talking. But the Lord in his kindness has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I'm going to share it with you. So if you're sitting down with the Apostle Paul and he says to you something, I'm about to talk to you about your stage of life. I'm not going to tell you what God says. I'm going to tell you what I say. And it's just going to be wisdom. I'm an older man. I've seen some things. I've been around the block. And I'm just going to share some pointers with you. That's how you need to hear this because that's what he, he's putting down in chapter 7. Okay? Somebody somewhere started a cruel joke, I think. And it might not be on your culture, but, but, but someone has started this a long time ago that puts a guilt trip on the single. Seriously. Somehow that, uh, like, if you're really going to take God seriously, you'd, you'd kind of own it. You'd own it. You'd, you wouldn't want to be married if you really, really were serious about God. And it's just not true. The, the commands of God are specific, and they're right. And he doesn't pull any punches when he's commanding. This is not a command. So just so you know, this is not a bait and switch. God's not talking about your singleness while he gives you a good thing called marriage and says, oh, but, but don't. If you're really going to do it well, don't, right? And that's not what's happening here. Let me give you a second thing. Wisdom, though, has to be applied. Not a command, but wisdom has to be applied. Verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain just as you are. In other words, single, to that single woman, to the, to the virgin, to those who haven't been married. Now, everything is hinging on that phrase, present crisis, to understand what Paul's talking about here. And there has been lots of debate about it, and I don't think we can get that close to it, but I'll try to explain it. Um, Notice again that Paul says uh, that he thinks, because of the present crisis, I think. This is again Paul getting away from the fact that it is God thinking. This is Paul thinking. 
and he's using wisdom to think. And he's talking about some circumstance that is either going on or is always going to be going on with Christians and their singleness that creates a crisis that requires wisdom to navigate. You understand what I just said? Okay, so let me give you some options here. Some have suggested that what's going on here is a particularly local, local crisis like financial problems or, or some kind of community famine or economic situation that's so unique and, and uh, like poignant to this church in, in Corinth that he just says, hey, based on the current circumstances, you should stay single for a while. Th- this would be like, hey, there's a coronavirus. Don't kiss people on the mouth. We're just being practical. Not like kissing's bad, but maybe take a break. It it might be something that simple, okay? Some people would say that's all he's dealing with, something real, something now. Some people think he's possibly looking to the hope of the coming of the Lord, and he's saying, hey, because Jesus is coming back, because Jesus is king, and it's so important, that's our particular circumstance, so see through that lens, and that's why you set aside marriage for a season. Some think that, that Paul is talking, not necessarily prophetically, but kind of with wisdom. He can see things coming down the railroad tracks, the idea of Rome, you know, the tension that happened in Judea when the Romans had to come and push down and up rising there. They took over Jerusalem. They, they destroyed the temple. They scattered the Israelites all over the place. That would happen in AD 70. We're talking AD 56. So only like 12 or 14 years before that event came. Maybe Paul saw some signs of it coming and he's saying, hey, this stuff is going to hit the fan. Hold off on getting married while this trouble happens. Maybe maybe not. Some people would say, no, Paul is simply, as, as a writer of scripture, scripture, in the wisdom and the Holy Spirit leading, was speaking to the church universal, saying, hey, I see things based on what God has given me to see, and I'm just instructing the church generally that there will always be present crisis, always, in every culture and every generation. So based on the fact that it's a universal experience of, of mankind, then just don't get married, all right? I don't think, I don't think we could know, um, although I favor one. I favor the particulars of the day. I favor the, the idea that there's something that he knows about Corinth that he's addressing here. Nevertheless, what do you do with this? Let, let me suggest a couple thoughts. First of all, I would see Paul's instructions that it, it's, it might be for them, but it's not necessarily for you. Do you understand? If he really knows something that's going on in Corinth and it's not going on here, then this is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is him talking about them, not you. That could be a possibility. So you have to, you have to include that in your thinking. Um, but the other thing, and this is where it can apply to us today, and I, I think it does work. Sometimes we have our own crisis that needs our singleness. Yeah? I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you go. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you, I don't know what you work at. I don't know what your family circumstances are. I don't know how you think about people or if you're jacked up and how you relate to women or how you relate to men or if you're insecure, if you're willing to give yourself away to, for nothing. I don't know what your crisis is, but sometimes your personal crisis requires your singleness. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, so I think it still applies. And only you would know. And that's why Paul said, I'm not giving you command. I'm giving you wisdom. And that's where you have to kind of put it in your head and go, okay, what is my story? What's my circumstance? What do I do with this? What should I be doing? What should I not be doing? And it's not just go for it. It's think. You understand? Okay. In a culture that doesn't like to think, I would suggest that a biblical Christian is primarily a thinker. Right? Okay. Let me give you something else to consider here. 
you get to decide the extra pressures you live with. Do you know that? It's up to you. Verse 28. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's, it's not a sin. However, I am trying to spare you the extra problems that come with marriage. You notice he didn't say uh, problems come with marriage. He called them extra problems, meaning problems are with singleness and problems are with marriage. You just get extra problems with marriage. Welcome to the future. That's what he's talking about here. Every, every situation, every relationship comes with problems and pressures. Marriage just has more. I'll try to explain that, but I want you to just get this in your head. The only time you get to pick the quantity of your problems is before marriage. So you decide, you decide now, I'm going to get in a relationship. Well, then you've just got the extra. And it's no longer available for you to go back and limit the extra. You have the extra. Do you understand? The only time you get to decide how much to add is now. That's why there's wisdom. Should I do it? Can I do it? Do I want this? Do I want that? I have to work on stuff. He's got to work on stuff. She's got to work on stuff. You're deciding then what extra you're putting on it, besides the normal things of life. I was thinking, because I just had another grandson, that puts the world back in balance, because now I have three grandsons and two granddaughters, because I come from a family of four boys, nothing wrong with girls, but boys, I know. Um, But I remembered, I got the text maybe an hour and 20 minutes ago, and I was thinking about this. When When I was... When I got married, I didn't think about anything else. Like, I didn't think about what I was supposed to be. I wasn't that deep. I was just kind of emotional and just ran into stuff. And the whole idea of what's next, you know, like you you get married and you have kids, you plan that, you get a house, and you start working on your savings. I didn't do any of that. I didn't think about it. My wife did. And it just kind of happened. We we got married in, I don't know, 83, 84. And six years later, she tells me she's pregnant, okay, okay? And I didn't, whatever, you know, it's the next thing. Got to do what you got to do. There wasn't like a longing in me, like I didn't have this absent heart where I was looking for anything and, you know, that fulfilled me. There wasn't a part of it. But then just blink, just blink. One year later, this is true, I'm standing outside in Chicago in the middle of January. It's 20 below zero. I'm holding my son, Benjamin. He's back there. He's just a little squirt. He's got croup and he can't breathe. And I'm outside at 2 a.m. freezing my tail off, and he's, go- he's barking like a dog because he can't breathe. And I, you know, you stop and you go, how did I get here? You want to talk extra, extra problems? Man, I love him to death, but I mean, I never planned to be out in 20 below zero at 2 a.m. holding a baby barking like a dog. None of that crossed my mind. And that times 100. Times a hundred, times a hundred. When you say relationship, you're adding to the pile. You understand? And that's why, that's why he puts it here in wisdom. You don't have to do that. Let me give you another thing to think about. Every follower of Jesus lives for and with kingdom priorities. Every follower of Jesus lives with kingdom priorities. Look at verses 29 and 30. Now let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So husbands should not let marriage be their major concern. Happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anyone from doing the Lord's work. Every follower of Jesus lives with kingdom priorities. Let me ask you a question. Single person, do you? 
I don't know. Do you really? Are, are you okay if I'm suspicious? I, I wouldn't know. I'm just suspicious that we live with kingdom priorities. Because unlike what Paul is describing here, the culture of singleness seems pretty self-focused, even from my vantage point, right? Money is on me, time's on me, career's on me, fun's on me, freedom for me, camera's on me. Singleness. Singleness is just Greek for selfish in many ways because I don't have to think about anybody else but myself. And that's not a platform that the follower of Christ is given, even in Paul's wisdom suggestions in 1 Corinthians 7. He simply says, free to do God's work. God's work. Every follower of Jesus lives with kingdom priorities. And, God, and he makes it pretty clear, God's work first. Let me give you, and there's more to unpack about that, but let me give you this next thought. Remember when I said not, not yet married is a gift from God? That was kind of that second point of the outline. Well, that's what Paul is saying here in this next section, verse 32 to 35. In everything you do, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man can't do that so well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided in the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord in body and in spirit, while the married woman must, concern, but must be concerned about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. In other words, freedom in singleness is an easier environment to serve the Lord. And Paul keeps talking about it like this gift to serve. And I suppose all, the only way you're going to know a gift or really, you know, like, appreciate it as if you think of it as a gift. And I don't know how to do that. To be honest with you, I can scratch my head and go, how do I tell a single person who desperately wants the good thing of marriage that God has created for them to have to treat the singleness as the gift that he's describing here? How do you do that? I mean, I just don't know. I can tell you that Paul calls it that. He says, hey, trust me. Trust me. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And he calls it a gift. Um, and, and I would suggest to you this, if you believed what I said in the beginning, that singleness is simply just a stage of life that God controls, that he uses for his glory and your good, if that's what it is, and if, and if it's a snapshot of your life, then you can treat it like the gift that it is. It doesn't have to be a destination. It has to be a realization. You understand that this is the gift for, for the time being. And, and that's, that's what he's offering us here. By the way, I don't know if you paid attention to this, but verse 29, verse 33 sounds a little bit schizophrenic if you're reading it because he says it this way. Let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short, so husbands should not, should not let marriage be a major concern. Now, tell me what woman wants to hear that. Honey, I'm following the Bible. I'm not worrying about it. It just wouldn't work. And then he says in verse 33, the opposite, it appears, but a man married can't do that very well. He can't serve the Lord well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. It sounds like two different things. doesn't concern himself with, and he has to concern himself with. It sounds like uh, a double-minded thought here, but that's not what's going on. All he's simply saying is that everyone, no matter if you're single or whether you're married, you're serving the king, right? And when you're single, you don't have the 
necessarily the pursuit of drastic success or or of children or a future or of a, of a spouse. It's, it's easier. Just put it in the easier category and you get what he's talking about here. Okay, I'm almost done. Another thought. Singleness isn't more holy, it's just more time. I don't know what you've ever gleaned from anyone on singleness, but it seems to me that that's how Paul keeps talking about it. Verse 36 to 38. But if a man thinks he ought to marry, now this could be other parts of the sermon, every time he brings this up, he suggests that it's it's the person who's single who gets to decide the situation, not God. But if a man thinks he ought to marry his his fiance because he has trouble controlling his passions, come on, give me an amen, that's one, and time is passing, there's a shot clock, and in your head you're going, I got passions, and I got the the rhythm of the clock, I got to take care of this stuff. He just simply says, if he thinks he ought to because of all that pressure, it's okay. He's all right. It's not sin. Let them marry but if he has decided, if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there's no urgency that he can control his passions, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries does well, and the person who does not marry does even better. And there's the, there is that wonderful reminder again that Paul is not suggesting that singleness is a more Jesus-like approach to Christian faith or life. All he ever talks about is even better is just this idea that when God gives you freedom from responsibilities and time for other things, guess where your time can go? Guess. Not you. And that's, that's the point of singleness. It might be the only time in your life um, that you can empty yourself for somebody else. So, one last thought, and then I've got some so what's for you. And that's that last point I made. Never, never married is a calling. You have to go back to verse 7, and I'm going to add it to, to the beginning of the book in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But we didn't read this, but let me read it. Um, verse 7, I wish everyone could get along without marrying. This is Paul talking now just as I do. So Paul obviously is not married. Many would suggest he had been, but who knows what's going on there. Uh, But he says, I wish everyone could be not married like me. Um, But we're not all the same. God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. Let me suggest to you the idea of gift um, there needs some massaging. Because if you hear the word gift and you go, oh, i got to treat it like I just won the lottery. Like, that's the, that's the demeanor I've got to have about singleness, and I never feel that way. Let me suggest to you something different. In, in chapter 1, verse 4, the, almost the same phrasing, it doesn't, it's not written in English this way. In verse 4, um, Paul is giving thanks. And he says this, I never stop thanking God for all the generous gifts. That's the New Living Translation, but it's actually translated the grace of God. I never stop giving thanks for the grace of God that he's given you now that you belong to Christ. If, if you've been around church any length of time, you understand how grace is defined, right? Grace is unearned, and grace is irresistible. Gifts can be received, and they can be rejected. When God gives grace, you can't turn it down. 
It's yours. When it comes to the issue of singleness, as Paul describes it here, he's saying, I wish you could be like me. Some, some get the gift of marriage, and we know from the angle of Genesis and all the other writings of Scripture about the joy and the beauty of marriage and the explanation of why most of you probably want to get married. It's there. But from time to time, God establishes in a single person's heart the irresistible grace of singleness. Who would know? Who would know? And if you read through Paul's writings in chapter 7, what you hear over and over again, if a man decides in his heart, if a man decides in his heart, if a woman decides in her heart, that's between you and the Father. Nobody should put on you that, hey, you'd be better, you'd be more holy, you'd be more right, you'd be more happy if you stayed single. That isn't in the Bible. But you could. It's possible. And although I'm 50, almost 59 years old, I haven't met hardly anybody like this in my life. It is also possible that God gives the irresistible grace of singleness to some. So in your pursuit of whatever's next in your life, you need to be praying that, like, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Is this irresistible? Is it a grace that you've given me? Or is it just a season? Does that make sense? Let me give you some so what's and we'll be done. Therefore, singleness should be used, not endured, which is everything about demeanor. If you're just holding on, complaining, trying not to whine, you don't want to come to small group and every time go, ah, pray for Johnny. Oh, Johnny's so bad. You can't endure singleness. You're to thrive in it. Like every person is supposed to thrive. Even the sufferers have to thrive in their suffering. Do you understand? Okay. Scriptures are clear. Paul says, all to the glory of God. Everything we do, whether we eat or drink, to his glory he says in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the name of Jesus. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, do everything in the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised. It's pretty simple why we do what we do. The glory of God. Okay? That's one. So it should be a, a thriving, not an endurance. Let me give you something else to th- consider as we finish. Grow where God has you. This is all the issue of contentment. And by the way, if you can remember that line, you'll use that line the rest of your life. When you get married, grow where God has you. When you have children, grow where God has you. When your kids leave home, grow where God has you. When you retire, grow where God has you. When you run out of money, grow where God has you. When you get cancer, grow where God has you. You can't ever say, I am stagnant and I'm dead. God is in control of our lives. He is sovereign over every story. Where God puts you in something, you grow where God has you. First Timothy, Paul tells a young pastor, there's great gain with godliness and contentment. They go together. When Jesus was teaching the issue of the heart in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, right? And all these other things God will add, be added to you, that God will do. That whole verse follows a section where he was preaching to the people about not worrying about their life. Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Can I add? And I don't think this is blasphemous. Don't worry about your wife. Don't worry about your husband. Don't worry about your singleness or your future. Don't, don't worry is Jesus' imperative command to people who follow him. Don't worry. And it's basically this. God says, I got you. It's as simple as it is. He's got you. And uh, you don't have to stress I got just two more thoughts, maybe three more thoughts. I'm lying. Um, Pray for the good thing. Do it. 
Pray for the good thing. God called marriage a good thing. So pray for it. The scriptures say, the psalmist uh, wrote in Psalm 37, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you go after Christ, then those things you love that he's planted in you, um, I'm pretty much certain that those are good things he will give. And by the way, you, you know this, but there's a big difference between praying for the good things and stressing about not having a good thing, right? Big difference. Prayer. Peace. Not stress and complaining. Okay. When you're in your own head about being single, you're in very bad company. And that happens a lot. It's kind of that pink noise, you know, that constant, my anxiousness about my position in life. But I would suggest to you, when you're in another person's life serving them, you're in God's company. There's a big difference. And that's why, that's why all Paul does when he talks about this particular stage of life and says, you know how winsome this stage is? Do you understand how you can be about so many other people? Do you realize how you can give and give and give and you're not robbing anybody to give? Do you understand it can just be a one-way street? Do you understand how good that is, how Christ-like that is? You've got a stage in life where you can dump your bucket, and you can. I don't know what you do, and so don't take this as judgment, so don't feel bad. I don't mean it to be. But you should ask, what are you doing? Man, I have such a passion for Every next generation. It's all I've ever done in my life. I have a passion for you guys taking over the church. And I don't know what church you go to. I don't even know that. I'd love to see it. I'd love you to see you become teachers and, and elders and deacons and worship leaders and servants at the door and people who pray with the sick. I'd love to see it. I'd love all of you to think that way. But if you start your life with the bent thought that this whole singleness should be turned inward and it's about you until you get that, you've wasted the moment. Do you understand? You've wasted the season. One, one last thought, and I'll pray and we're done. Don't worry. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with God's timing. As someone once said, and I, I believe it to be true, God is... Never early, but he's never late. When it comes to you and thinking about who's next and who, who's going to love you or who you're going to love in return, what's your life going to be like, just trust me, when God gets it all done, when he puts it all together, you're going to go, oh, oh, that's why. She's why. He's why. Now's why. It's all explained. And that's sort of the kind of the post-discovery of God's sovereignty. When he does what he does and you can look back on it, you go, oh, he's clearly wise, wiser than I am, because I'd have scooted it all up. You hearing it? Big amen? amen? All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you um, that there's not a single um, moment in our life where you... Um, don't have something to say to us. Well, I don't want to assume uh, too much about how people feel about the issue of singleness or being single, but it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to think that some people are thinking about it a lot. Or if we're more like our culture, then we care to admit that we're not wasting this moment. 
So Lord, I'm praying over this group of young adults. Father, that you would allow them to rejoice in a season that you clearly are sovereign over, that God, they would step out of themselves and into uh, your kingdom work and they would serve others. Lord, I pray for every one of them that uh, for their future spouse, if that's what you have for them, God, make it clear, make it crystal, make it right, I pray. Um, Thank you for um, what you're doing in this ministry. Thank you for the team that serves it. Um, God, I love them, but you love them more. I pray your blessing on their life. Amen.